and it was really, really good. I got to give a, a shout out to you guys. Uh, tons and tons of great feedback on just in the five weeks we did the First Peter, not only on, on the book of First Peter and comments related to what we were talking about, but you guys were also giving me a lot of good uh, sermon ideas, whether you meant to or not. I had multiple people even come and give me topical series and textual series. So if I steal the series you give me here in the next following months, that's what you get for giving it to me, okay? But also, I've, I've gotten quite a few little uh, good nuggets that we can chew on and some individual sermons. So if you've got an individual sermon, you've been thinking about, you know, maybe we should talk about this or this is a powerful scripture, feel free to give it to me here in the next couple of weeks because I would like to do just a few weeks, maybe two or three, seven or eight um, individual sermons, just some, some one-off stuff and, and try and give us some time of encouragement in that. So that's what I want to do today. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke here in just a second. So if you want to grab your Bibles, that's where we're going to be hanging out mostly today. But before we dive into the text and dive into the Word, I know this isn't super conventional, but nobody's ever called me a conventional dude. Uh, but before we dive into the Scripture today, I want to talk, I want to talk about my doggie. This is Charlie. Many of you guys know Charlie, um, especially if you came to the movie night. He wanted to know you and your hot dog and what you tasted like when he gave you kisses, right? Um, and so, yeah, Charlie, is a, he's a good boy. He's also a big, floofy boy. I didn't put the picture up there. Whenever we comb him, we get like a basketball size of hair because uh, he's just constantly leaving hair everywhere. But he's an adventurous dog. He likes to go with me anywhere. Anytime I hop in the truck, he thinks he needs to go along with me. So he's always riding shotgun in the truck. He loves to go play in the water at the lake and go camping and um, all of that. He is a great adventure dog, and we love him very much. And he's also very, very cuddly. Here's Gemma. Um, he loves to be cuddly, but sometimes he's too cuddly. Um, sometimes he'll just like hop into bed like he did with Bella when she stayed with us. Or sometimes he likes to sleep on my face, apparently. Um, and that's where I draw the line for a little too cuddly. But I do, I do love him. He's a very, very good boy. Um, and he takes, you know, he's, he's pretty chill. He's pretty chill. But you know, Charlie was not always a super chill dog. Um, if you didn't know, we got Charlie two years ago, almost exactly two years ago. And we got Charlie from the Nunn family because they were about to move. And Charlie had only been with the nuns for like a couple of months, and they had rescued him from a, a pretty rough home, and he was still a puppy. So I think he was like probably six months, definitely less than a year old. And they had rescued him, and so he went from a life where he was just chained to a pole to living out on the farm where he could just run around and chase goats and chase little boys everywhere. And then he came to our house. And he was still a puppy. And so he did puppy things. I was just trying to think of a quick list of things that were important to me that he chewed. Um, we'll start with my like $100 headphones that still have bite marks in them. I appreciate that. Um, my backpack that he decided the straps no longer needed to be attached to. Did not appreciate that one. Um, something, you know, one, of the, one day the lamp was looking at him wrong, so he took it out, no problem destroyed that lampshade. We just replaced it with the thrift store lampshade like last month, so we're looking good. Um, and the day that I almost thought we were done with Charlie, the day that he decided he should dismantle my barbecue so he could lick the grates, that was a tough day for me. 
but I got the barbecue remantled. You guys had hamburgers off of it. So we've cleaned it since then. Um, yeah. It wasn't always easy when Charlie first came to our house. He had some puppy things. But, but the main thing that was really, really difficult for us is because he had never been in an environment where he was in a yard, he hated being in a yard. And I tell this story all the time because I just think it's, it's ridiculous and funny. But anytime he would be put in the yard, anytime we'd, you know, have to go run errands or anything, you don't live at your house all day every day, right? He would go in the yard and he would, once we all left, decide he needed to escape. So instead of your conventional dog methods of escaping, you know, digging under, no, nah, jumping over, no, nah, here's what Charlie would do. He would take his head and ram it into the fence until a picket broke and he could walk out the hole that he had just created with his thick skull, literally, literally. And this happened a lot. We, we struggled with this. We struggled with this. And here's the thing. He wanted to escape. He wanted to get out so badly, but he didn't have anywhere to go. So he'd go wander around the neighborhood, you know, 10 minutes, half an hour, and then he'd just come back and sit on the porch and wait for somebody to come home. And if nobody came home in the next hour, he'd go wander around again with no place to go, and he'd just come back and sit on the front porch and wait for somebody to come home. Why? Because home was where he got fed, he was loved, he was cuddled. And the world, it was out there, and he had to escape to it, but he had nowhere to go. He had nothing out there. Everything was home, but he felt like he had to escape because he was in a literal box, right? A nice big giant yard of a box, but he felt like he had to escape the box. Believe it or not, we're not just going to talk about Charlie today. <laughs> I just thought you might want to see some cute pictures. I feel like Christians feel the same way sometimes as Charlie when he first came to our house. Sometimes I think people, maybe just people, feel like we're put in a box and we have to escape. And so if you're new to Christianity or if you're new to faith or you're new to following Jesus, this thing right here that's weird that we call church feels like a box. It feels like you're trapped. It feels like the whole world is out there for you to explore, and you're stuck with these people at this place, at this time, with these rules, and we make these things a problem in our brain. People do that. And so all we want to do is escape. People want to escape Christianity because it's a box that they don't want to be put in. So what do we do? Well, sometimes we do the same thing. We ram our head into something until we can escape. But is it something we really need to escape from? Or is it something we should be comfortable in? We'll talk about that today. And I wanted to talk about it, and as I was thinking about Charlie, <laughs> I thought of a, a great story that we haven't talked about in a couple of years, because this is what people do. The story of the prodigal son. A person who wanted to escape the box so badly. If you've never read the story of the prodigal son, that's where we're going to be hanging out today, Luke chapter 15. Um, it starts in about verse 11, and the entirety of it goes through verse 20, or 32. And we're not going to be able to talk about everything in it today, but the prodigal son, a human who felt like he was in a box so bad that he had to escape. But really, was it what he really needed to escape? Well, read with me here. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, and I just want to read a couple of verses to get us started here. 
Luke chapter 15, verses 11, 12, and 13, okay? And this is Jesus talking. This is a parable, so a teaching story from Jesus. So Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So at the very beginning of this parable, this teaching story, this is a story from Jesus, we get introduced to the character, right? The son. The prodigal son is what we call this story. But we get introduced, and this son is the younger brother. Did you notice that? As you read the story, there's two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my inheritance early, right? Basically. Well, if you know anything about the share of property that should be coming to you or the inheritance, one thing that's uh, pretty clear about an inheritance is that you don't just get to ask for your inheritance ahead of time whenever you want, right? An inheritance is something that is promised to you at a later date. But the, the younger son comes forward to dad and he says, I feel like I'm in a box. Give me what's due to me later so I can have it now. And sometimes we, we take some time digging through this story because we don't understand all the cultural things, right? Some of the cultural things we don't understand is that this being the younger brother, this is totally wrong. Because what's hap what should happen to this family? Well, if when dad gets old, when dad passes, his inheritance is now given to the older brother who continues on the family, continues on doing what the father had done, continues their business that they had established or whatever it might be, and then to the younger brother. So the older brother just got skipped over so the younger brother could have his now. That's not right, is it? All of this is because the younger brother feels like he's trapped and he wants to escape. We don't know exactly what he didn't like about being home and working for his father and waiting for his inheritance or any of those things. We don't know what the deal was, but all we know is that he wanted to get out and go to a foreign country and live the way that he wanted to live. So what we see in verse 13 is he does exactly that. He gets out of the box. He's no longer trapped. He escapes, and he takes a journey into a far country where he squanders his property in reckless living. He's living life the way he wants to live life, isn't he? However he wants. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but we can probably fill in the gaps for what we would do in reckless living in a foreign country. Probably nothing responsible. Probably nothing moral. He wanted to escape and see what the world was all about, right? But here's the thing. Where we ended right here in verse 13, we see that he no longer has money. He squandered his property in reckless living. So what's he, what's he got now in the world? Well, if you go into the world and you don't have anything, you will be taken care of, right? By people that are nice, people that take care of you, welfare, right? All of that's great until it's no longer great. Luke 15, verses 14 through 16, he finally escaped and had the life he wanted. But when push came to shove, he didn't have anybody. Starting in verse 14 through 16. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But yet, no one gave him anything. I love you can dig deeply into this parable, and I've I've shared this before, but different cultures will point out different problems of why this kid is starving. Here in America, we love to point out the fact that he wasted his money because we love money in America. In some of the third world countries, they say, hey, it's not his fault, there's a famine. Both are valid, aren't they? And then some of the uh, more community-driven countries say no one gave him anything. We're supposed to take care of everyone equally, right? So depending on your perspective, people have different reasons, but the push and the shove is he has nothing. So much so that when he finally escaped and he lived the way he wanted to live, he brought himself to a place where he was feeding pigs and he thought the pig slop looked good. Uh, What are the ingredients for pig slop? Whatever's left and rotten, am I right? Yeah? I mean, not something that humans should find appetizing. You know, pigs eat the cob of the corn. We eat the corn before that. Pigs eat the moldy food. We don't eat the moldy food. Pigs eat all, any, everything. And he's pouring that. This is just the image I get. You know, he's just pouring that slop into the trough, and he's like, oh, man, I wish. I wish I could have food like this, like these pigs. Again, probably not a respectable job. We don't really see that he's getting paid. No one's taking care of him. Um, He is just doing this for a citizen as he's a hired hand. He has nothing. He has nothing. He's got the worst, disgusting, dirty job, and he wants to eat the pig's food but he escaped. Isn't it great? Isn't it great he got what he wanted? He escaped. Well, just like Charlie, he rammed his head through the fence, he escaped, and he wandered out into the world, and what did he find? One time he wandered towards Pizza Hut. He might have found something there. But for the most part, he never found anything. That happened with the prodigal son, too. He found destruction. He found nothing. And so he comes up with this plan in Luke 15, 17 through 19. He says, I am starving. I have nothing. Here's what I'm going to do. But when he came to himself, after wanting to eat the pig's food, by the way, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here in hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He escapes. He wastes his life and he's left in a world with nothing. So he comes up with this plan. And the plan is to go home, but not really. The plan is that he's coming up with his brain is, There is no way that I can go home home. I don't deserve to be my father's son anymore. But here's what I'll do. I'll go back because at least my father's slaves get food. 
So I'll go back and I'll, I'll plead with my dad and I'll tell him that I have sinned against him and heaven and maybe, just maybe, he will hire me as a servant, as a slave, and then I will at least not starve any longer. It's a good plan, I guess. It's a sad plan, isn't it? Everything from the moment that the son escapes the box he feels like he's in, the story gets sadder and sadder. It'll get better, but it, it gets sadder. And he's come to this, this place where he's so low that he knows he can no longer be a part of the family, but he'll be a slave to his brother and his father, which once took care of him. But they kept him in a box. So he's going to put his plan into action, right? As we pick up here in verse 20, the plan is set into action, just like Charlie coming home to sit on the front porch, right? 15 verses 20 through 24. And he arose and he came to his father. Things are going to plan, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring in the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh man, what a pivotal transition in the story, right? I just love this piece. The son's got the plan. It's going to work out. He's going to be a slave if his dad just has a little ounce of mercy, right? So he goes back to his dad, and from a long way away, his father sees him. A long ways away. And he feels compassion, compassion for him. And this picture, this is so great. He runs to his son. This is one of my favorite pictures. You can find this one. I'd love a print of this, if anybody ever comes across a print of this. The father runs to the son, hugs and kisses him, because he loves him, right? But in the midst of the father running to him, the son still has the plan. And this is just hilarious to me, because it's so human. He starts giving his pre-planned speech. He's like, Dad, I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned under heaven and, earth, and to you. And he's, he's going to try and ask to be a servant, right? Not realizing the gravity of what's happening as his father dangles on him. Because his father loved him, had compassion on him, ran to him and kissed him and states, my son was dead and now is alive he was lost and is now found. He doesn't care what the son has done. He doesn't care where the son has been. He doesn't care about the son's financial status. All he cares about is the son. He's home. He's safe. And I love him. Well, it got me thinking about this story are these lyrics. You guys know that if I hear a song during the week and the lyrics hit me, it means a lot to me. But Casting Crowns, this is obviously good lyrics. Listen to just a few lines from this song, Even When You're Running. 
His love isn't escapable. His presence isn't shakable. Right now, you don't believe it's true. A better day is coming. And you don't need another place to hide. He'll find you in your darkest night. His love is holding on to you, even when you're running. Even when you're running. It's this part in the story that you can see it's a parable. It's a teaching story. Because, yeah, this might be about some father and some son that goes and wastes his money, but you know what this story is really about? It's about the father and the children. And that's why these song lyrics mean so much to me. These song lyrics about the father and the children. And we, as children, we as prodigal sons, feel like we have to escape. Dare I say like Casting Crowns did, we feel like we have to go running because it's a box we're trapped in, right? But when things fall apart, and when the world isn't as we expected it to, the Father still loves us, even when we're running. And this picture right here, even when we're running, He comes running. He comes running for us because we are back home. Did you see the things that the Father did for the Son? He throws a party. He brings the best robe and the finest ring, and he kills the fattened calf. He is celebrating that his son has come home. So like I said, this story is not just about a father and a son. It's about the father and all of us as children. Because I think all of us fall into this trap of feeling boxed in. It's a human thing. And so we feel like we have to slam our heads against the pickets and escape. But we go out into the world and we start running. But when we realize that there's nothing out there, and we come home and we think maybe, just maybe, I'll I'll be allowed to survive. The father doesn't say, oh, you're allowed to survive here. He comes running and throws a party that we have come to him. That's Christianity right there in a nutshell, isn't it? It's not just a story about a father and son. It's about God, and it's about us. And we are prodigals all the time when we feel like we have to escape. We're like Charlie all the time when we feel like we have to escape. And I just think that's such a a funny parallel to talk about our big fluffy dog. Because he would go nowhere. And he would just come home and sit on the porch. And even times when I'd go hop in the car and try and find him, he'd be running down the street, and he'd look over and see the car. And just stop and be like, and I pull over, open the door. He'd be like, yeah, let's go. And he'd be back in the car, right? Because he knows who loved him. He knows who loved him. So even when you're running, God comes running for you. God came running for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel message is that we didn't have to be perfect And we didn't have to get over the fact that we wanted to escape for God to come running to us. And as I say that, that shouldn't be a surprise because it's all throughout the New Testament. If you look at the the very last verses of the prodigal son story, there's more. But I invite you to read this on your own because I'm not going to have time today. But Luke 15, 25 through 32 talks about the older brother's response. 
And sometimes we're the younger brother that ran away, but sometimes we're the older brother who feels cheated because we stayed. And we didn't get a party. That's what Christians feel like sometimes too, right? So read this one. You can read the whole thing, but if you only need a little bit to read, this is only seven verses. You can do it. Read this one and see how you feel like the older brother and the younger brother sometimes. The gospel says that God comes running for us while we were still sinners. That shouldn't be a surprise. Even when we're running, even when you're running, he comes running. Shouldn't be a surprise. It's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself would say it in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. When he heard it, he said, There are those, those who are well have no need of a physician, but to those who are sick. Go and learn what that means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus said that. And I know I just kind of threw a verse at you there, but what did Jesus come here to do? To save the already healthy from sickness? No. To save the sick from sickness. Did he come to call the perfect and the righteous? No. He came to call the sinners so they can come running home. He's running to them. It's not a place for the perfect. It's a place for the people that know they're not perfect. Paul would later reiterate almost the same exact thing. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for that. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how I'm putting it today is even when you're running, he comes running for you. Even while you were still a sinner, even while you were imperfect, even when you ran away, he comes running for you. That should be pretty encouraging to us today, I hope. If you are a Christian, you can find comfort in that. Today's sermon is not for you to go bang your head against the fence and see what the world is like, okay? Today is a time to remember if you're a Christian that he came running for you so you can stick with him at home. The Father takes care of us and he gives us this family that takes care of one another. And it's the best life we will ever have, just like Charlie at home. He gets fed all the time. He gets treats. He gets whatever Courtney decides to give him off her plate that night. He gets pets. He gets cuddles. He gets to play with a Frisbee and destroy it in the backyard. He has the best life. We have the best life in Christ. So it's not a, it's not a challenge to see how far can you go running till Jesus runs back to you. It's a call to remember that he ran to you and brought you home. But if you're not a Christian today, I want you to know that even when you're running, he comes running. Even when you feel like you've sinned so bad or you've abandoned the church or you've abandoned people like of, of Christians or whatever your hang-up might be, we all got one, right? The church has hurt a lot of people. 
Christians have hurt a lot of people. Whatever you think it might be, I want you to know, you see, he's coming running for you. So let him come up to you, hug you, embrace you, kiss you, and take you home. If you're not a Christian today, find one of those Christians around you because their job is to tell you how amazing this home is. And tell them you want to be a part of it. And tell them that you were running, but you know he came running for you. Thank you, guys.